Hi, I'm Jillian Swinford. And I'm Haley Brolison. And this is Mother Nature Will Kill You. A podcast about the most horrific tragedies and the most triumphant survival stories that the wilderness can provide. So grab your backpack and maybe a bottle of wine and let's go on a wild ride into the unknown. Walking down this road I go, but I am going alone, running far, far from home, till I am skin and bone. morning we literally just woke up it's fun Corey and I had uh maybe a few too many daiquiris last night because it's been kind of a rough week to be a woman in the south oh bet or midwest or somewhere that's just not on the coast pretty much any of like the what 42 states out of the 50 states Mm -hmm. (laughs) pretty much um I already you know, pretty much didn't have a right to abortion living in Texas, but, um, now it's sealed. (laughs) Now it's like really sealed. I think my only hope if I wanted to go out of state would be to Colorado. What I mean, not that I would get one, but there's a lot of health complications that I'm concerned about as somebody potentially trying to get pregnant. Yeah. I mean, it's like, if you have a miscarriage, like, is that, do you have to go to like an abortion clinic for not abortion clinic, but is that technically no. like an abortion to remove the fetus if it's I already mean, it's, dead? It's a uh, automatic abortion, a natural abortion. If your body removes it itself, they call it, they literally call it a uh, something like that. I like a natural abortion. Yeah. What about ectopic pregnancies? Those freak me out. Yes. Um, so I was reading a lot of articles about how women are already having issues with that because you know technically they're legal still to get those removed um yeah in a lot of uh, places however because of all of this unprecedented bullshit that is happening we don't know what the rules are the doctors don't know what the rules are so they're having to scramble to get approval in some way so they don't lose their license and their livelihood and go to jail yeah, Meanwhile, I saw this that. woman is dying because yeah. she can't get treatment. And I so saw that article. It's just so frustrating because I, I a lot of Christians are out talking about like, well, they'll make exceptions for this. And it's like, but you don't understand what the logistics are now that all these laws have changed. Yeah, like they'll make exceptions for it, but it's going to take like a, a t- long time right. to get it approved and like a woman might die in the process because it's taking too long I saw an article that was like it was a nurse talking about like literally that experience and it was like pretty much saying that this woman was bleeding out and like the doctor had to go through like all of these like legislative avenues to be like can we do this can we not do this like yeah so if you're pro-life out there and you are actually think you're pro-life and want to help everybody and everything like start fighting to make it easier for women to get these life-saving procedures because it is not 
because of what is happening. And it is not like, I, you know, we've been talking about getting pregnant, Corey and I, and now we're like, I'm going to put that on hold and see how this all plays out because I don't want to yeah. die. You know? Yeah. We were talking, I was over at Alex's friends um, last night and we were talking about just like women be, it wasn't, we were talking, we were not talking about like abortion rights and everything, but mm-hmm. the topic of pregnancies got brought up because I guess one of their friends had a, like a pregnant, like a pregnancy that was really hard for them. Or it was like one of their friends, like coworkers or something. And it was like, yeah. this woman was like in labor for like three or four days. Like they put her in the hospital on one day. And then like four days later, she had the baby and like the last month of her pregnancy, she was on bed rest. And like, mm-hmm. it was just, it was like this ordeal. And like, you just started talking about like all these different challenges that like a pregnancy can bring. And it's like, yeah, like it's scary. It's like a woman's body changes so much and like it can, it cannot work out too. So yeah. And it, and it's just gotten more dangerous because of this. And I don't think a lot of pro-lifers understand that like women who want to get pregnant now are scared to get pregnant. So you're like, yeah, (laughs) I know I was, I was having a rough morning yesterday morning and I was like, I'm sure you felt this before and I'm sure whoever else listens to this has felt this before, but like when you've just been like piling on like the stress and anxiety and you haven't had like a proper outlet to like Mm -hmm. express it and then it just builds up and you just break down. Like, yes, (laughs) that's kind of like how it was for me yesterday morning. I called my mom and I was like, do you have a minute? And she's like, what's wrong? And I was like, I'm just tired. (laughs) I'm just like, I am just so over a lot of things and I just, Ugh. we have occasionally talked political on this podcast so you know where our stance is we're women we both work in science we both like believe in science I, I can't believe we say believe in science now but we do the uh, science we do science we see that science is real um yeah I guess is what I science yeah I would rather just support science scientific learning um and and like we both the use of yeah. And the, the use of medical advances, like yeah, vaccines and medical care, like abortions, like, so if, I if think- that's not your opinion and you still want to listen, like we still welcome you here, but, um, it's just been a rough week for, I think, you know, well, a lot of yeah. Women. And it sucks too, because like, I was talking to my boyfriend about it and you know, I was like, you know, abortions have been overturned or Roe versus Wade has been overturned. Like it's not a far off thought that like birth control could be next. And like, I know I'm someone that needs birth control to function because my hormones Mm -hmm. are fucked up. And like, Mm -hmm. even being on birth control, my hormones are still fucked up, but they're more manageable and I can actually like go about my daily life. But like, if it gets to a point where it's like, you can't have birth control because like, that's a form of trying to manipulate the quote unquote natural process. Which I can't. I can't like shit. Like, I don't know what I'm gonna do. Yeah, like, me either. Uh, <laughs> like because... I actually need this to function. <laughs> it's medicine for me. Like you can't just say, like, oh, you can't have medicine. It's like if a diabetic was like, you can't have insulin. Right. Like, like right. what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. And I've been on it since I was 14. And it's really helped regulate. Um, like my emotions around or like my reactions to things around my period, like my PMSing and stuff. And it's just, um, I don't know what it's going to be like if I'm off it for yeah. 
I literally cannot work for 10 days mm-hmm. when I'm not on birth control. Yeah. Like I get so dizzy that I cannot even drive my car. And yeah. like even sitting down and laying down, the room is still spinning. And like I'm nauseous. I can't even like eat food really. Like I can't smell food. Like yeah. I can't sleep. Like I have the worst cramps. Like I get headaches and migraines. Like mm-hmm. I literally can't function for a whole, like 10 days. Yeah. So it's a, it's, you know, it's kind of life or death survival in a lot of ways for a lot of us. And I think that's something that is really important to remember. I know a lot of our listeners probably agree. <laughs> yeah. I feel but like if you're those... listening to a nature show, you're probably like in the same vein of thing. Like, <laughs> but to those who don't, I mean, just think about looking at, you know, things from the other side and the other's perspective, because you don't know everything about how, especially if you're not a woman about how it is to go and try to get healthcare and try to, you know, be pregnant and live through it. And there's a lot of things. So I don't want to take up too, too much more time um, on this. It's a very easy topic to rant about. You're going to have a lot of editing to do. Yes, I know. (laughs) Um, So other than that, what's been going on with you? Other than the world falling apart, what's happening with you? Yeah. Um, Well, I'm in the process of moving. So just trying to get all that done. Like this whole week I've been like little by little, like on my lunch break, I've like done a car load over Mm -hmm. there to the new place. And then, and it's all going pretty fine, honestly. Like, um, that's exciting though. And I need my boyfriend to stop working for like two days to help me. uh, (laughs) If you ever can do that Uh, because he, I I'm pretty sure he's literally been working for 10 days straight. And he's not going to stop working for like another three or four days. Jesus. Because like as a law enforcement officer, like he has to work holidays. Mm -hmm. And so like, you know, it's a holiday weekend. So I don't know how he does it. I don't know how any law enforcement officer or anybody that has a schedule that changes timeframes and weekdays so frequently does it because (laughs) I get like. I go to bed like one hour later than I'm supposed to. And I can't function the next day. <laughs> I can't imagine having to like work like seven days in a row from like nine to five. And then like, you just have to switch to like three to se- like three to 11 kind of shift. So he's been working a lot and I need his truck and I need his extra pair of hands and his big boy muscle strength to help me move my bed. Um, oh yeah. Sometime this next week. But I'm hoping to be in my new place next week at like at some point because uh, two weeks from now, I will be in Orlando for iCast again. Mm-hmm. It's pretty much like my, although my lease ends at the end of July, I really feel like it ends in the middle of July. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm trying to get all my stuff out ASAP and in there. And so the, I bought a fixer upper. I knew it was going to be a fixer upper, but it's not like the type of fixer upper that's falling apart. Like you can actually live in it while you fix it up kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had gotten a quote to get drywall done in the house because the, the walls in the house are all paneling. You tap on the wall at, or like you lean on the wall hard enough and like you can fall through it. <laughs> it's very flimsy. So I had wanted to get the whole place redone with drywall and I got a quote for it all together. The quote was like way out of our budget. 
So uh, I am going to be doing the drywall myself. <laughs> I'm going to be watching a lot of YouTube videos. Oh and, my God. Yeah. Just figuring that one out, but it's, it'll be fine. I'll just like do it room by room. I mean, like it is going to be a challenge because you've never done it before. And I think the biggest struggle with, I've never done it, but I've watched a lot of people who <laughs> um, is getting like measuring and that kind of thing. Right. And like those right. tricky yeah. areas um, and making it not look stupid. <laughs> yeah. Well, thankfully I have a boyfriend who has worked in construction before, so he will be a large help and he is also a perfectionist like me. So there we're going to make sure everything is lined up appropriately. Um, so I've been, um, setting up yield ramps all week. I loved all your pictures I saw on social media the other day. Yes. Thank you. Brought back some memories. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Um, ours are in very different looking locations though, than what we were used to when we worked in Virginia, but, um, yeah, cause it's a very hot, uh, (laughs) very dry. There's cactus. Um, (laughs) But uh, essentially, um, we have our eel ramps up and Corey and I uh, are going on the 4th, actually, to go check the sites for the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, but we ran into some issues. Um, we only set up two of the three that we needed to set up. Um, mm. So the other ramp is sitting in my garage right now until we can <laughs> somebody can help me go set it up because it's like a, definitely a three person job. Oh yeah. Um, well, I saw there was like a like a tube system, like a line yes. or whatever that you guys were extending from it. What's that about? So that is um, basically our flow line. So we rely on natural flow in order to get the ramp to work because we need something to entice the little baby eels to climb up the ramp. So you need water flowing. We don't want to have something that's like battery powered or that you would have to plug in like a pump or something because it's literally just out in the middle of no, like how are we supposed to make that work? Um, you know, out in the elements and stuff. Mm-hmm. So we do natural flow siphon. Um, gotcha. So that's why we need an incline. And that's why we need, um, you know, some kind of natural creek f- flow rapids, whatever. So it was totally fine at our first site. As you saw, there was a lot of water. moving through. Yeah. It's a little difficult to set that one up for sure. And then um, the other one, a Coletto Creek, uh, that one, um, we had problems getting it started because it was very gradual elevation change. It was enough, but it was very gradual. So we just kept having to move the ramp further down. So we have a really, really long hose at that site. Hopefully all of it's working still when I go check it tomorrow. Yeah. And so you're going to have to go check on that. <laughs> uh-huh. Um, so that's, when I haven't been in existential dread over all the shit that's going on, um, that's what I've been doing. <laughs> Sounds fun. <laughs> so, Good way to distract yourself for sure. And I'm going up to Houston um, next week to kind of do the same with all of them and make sure they're, you know, taking samples and stuff correctly, cool. teaching them how to do some of the lab stuff that we need to do. So yeah, it just keeps on going, keeps on going. Um, so yeah, uh, so I guess, do we want to kind of get into um, nature stuff, nature stuff and stop yeah, sure. talking about our lives? Uh, so 
a lot of people probably know from I've seen it a couple of times on TikTok or just in the news that there's some um, unprecedented flooding in Yellowstone National Park is unprecedented these days. I know. Here's my thing, though. You don't know that it's they're saying unprecedented because it destroyed a road. But, you know, this may have happened many, many times in the past, naturally, um, on like a good rain year or like, a you know, really good snowmelt year. Yeah. So basically what happened is there's been abundant rainfall and really quick snowmelt, maybe because of climate change, because it's hot. I don't know. Um, that produced um, three quarters of a foot of water runoff. <laughs> which NPR says is similar to the area receiving two to three months of, ra- of rain, basically, in only three days. So it's, it's a lot. And the pictures are pretty intense. Um, and basically, a road in the northern section of the park has collapsed, um, along with, like, there's been bridge failures on that road. And so... It's all done by water, folks. Right. And so... Uh, there's a couple cities um, or towns. I, they say cities. <laughs> like, bitch, those are not towns. Like a bus- yeah, it's, like it's not a bustling <laughs> city, that's for sure. Um, are also experiencing the same kind of flooding. Um, and basically, they're trapped up there. So it makes traveling impossible. Um, I think some places are only getting stuff in from like helicopters or stuff, which is not great. But at the same time, there's potentially some ecological benefits to all of this so Mm -hmm. so yeah from national geographic uh they say that this yellowstone flooding is historic but it also brings renewal despite destruction as we know some natural disaster quote-unquote disasters or like events Anything that's like some major weather event can also be beneficial to nature, although it is detrimental to human life. So this is what that article really breaks down. Floods can reshape landscapes. Obviously, that's what happened with the road that fell through Mm -hmm. and all the bridges that are having problems. So as land floods, wild um, and untamed rivers like the Yellowstone and its tributaries do something to humans or do something that humans tend to resist, which is change. Um, <laughs> you know, no one likes change, but Mother Nature. Or we just set back to the 1950s. Yeah, or we just bounce back in time. That's the kind of change that we do. Regress. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah. In wild, in wild rivers, fast-moving water seeks out new channels, carries soil and gravel downstream, and spreads it across floodplains, reshaping the terrain. What may look like destruction to an angler used to catching a fly from a favorite sandbar, uh, a boater accustomed to taking a particular side channel, or a landowner whose property line shifted is in fact a sign that a river and its floodplain are vibrant and alive. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a quote by Scott Boss, who says, as humans, we often think that floods are disastrous and fires are disastrous but they are really only disastrous because we put human lives and property in harm's way. Um, As some of us may know, uh, there are things called prescribed burns Mm -hmm. and that is what environmental organizations 
do to help uh, promote growth uh, for plants that need fire and heat to grow, like overgrowth. It's a natural perturbation (laughs) that happens in forest environments. They need the fires to kind of make more room for new growth to happen and make sure that the ecosystem is balanced and fluctuating because otherwise the old growth will kind of overwhelm anything new and reproduction is kind of important. So that's how that happens in forest landscapes. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. It's like, I am still tired even (laughs) after one cup of coffee. So this also goes on to talk about how it's an opportunity for trout Native trout, like the Yellowstone cutthroat, also favors the kind of complexity floods create. While waters are raging, the trout escape to calmer side channels. As higher water makes tributaries more accessible, they use them to spawn. Plus, trout don't stop feeding during floods, so it also helps them get to food sources. Mm -hmm. This is a quote from Pat Byorth. During the event itself, there's a tremendous amount of scour, which means there's a ton of drifting invertebrates in that high water, just providing a buffet line for fish and aquatic creatures. So mm-hmm. that's, you know, the, yeah. the food for trout. Pat Byorth is a 17 year state fisheries biologist in Montana and now directs Trout Unlimited's Montana Water Project. So definitely approved to say things. <laughs> um, <laughs> Native trout have evolved to thrive in flood prone rivers over roughly 150,000 years. They've been on this landscape. Um, Introduced species like the rainbow trout have not. Fun fact, um, when I was in Utah, the brook trout is an introduced species out there too, but the brook trout is the native freshwater species of Virginia. Yeah. Um, So I actually, side note, um, when I was at American Fisheries Society conference, um, they had like a keynote speaker who um, works with, uh, the cutthroat trout species that's in, um, uh, New Mexico because they have Mm -hmm. one too. Um, and so he's talking about, you know, all the quote unquote evasive, uh, or introduced species and like with shitting on brook trout. I was like, it's like, I get why you're (laughs) but they are the most beautiful trout in my opinion. I know. (laughs) So we had like, a fun little joking conversation about that. He's like, well, when they're in their natural habitat, sure. <laughs> but if they're fucking my habitat up, then no. Which I get, which is why I'm so anti-blue catfish, but down here they're native, so no one yeah. gives a shit. Yeah. Yeah, no, yeah. it was funny because in Utah, it was like literally if you get a brook trout, just throw it up on the bank to let it die because yeah, like, they we need to remove them. And in Virginia, it like this was like two months after I had just like done like brook trout like stock enhancement in Virginia. Yeah. yeah. I was like, wait a minute. This is not not what we should be doing, right? <laughs> to me, they're like the most beautiful species of trout, but you know. Yeah, they are. But the gorgeous. whole reason why they're not good in Utah and I'm assuming in the other states as well is because yeah. they spawn at different times in the native cutthroats. And by the time that the uh brook trout reached to the size um, that changes their diet. The native cutthroat are still um, the right. size of being eaten. So, like trout go through like an insectivore early stage, and then they get transition to like a pescivore stage. Mm. And so, by the time that brook trout are in that pescivore stage, 
cutthroats are still in that insectivore stage. And so therefore brook trout are eating the little native cutthroats and it's kind of wiping the population out. (laughs) So that's what's happening there. Um, This has been trout talk. Yeah. (laughs) can talk about (laughs) trout and fish anytime you want me to. Um, Pat Byworth expects expects a strong spawning population of Yellowstone cutthroat trout in three years, at which point anglers will enjoy catching them similar to the years following floods in 2011 and 1996. Mm -hmm. So benefits of floods right there for the landscape and the fisheries. Um, Cottonwoods are seeded by floods. So one of the big ecological questions about this flood is whether and how it will boost riverside vegetation, particularly cottonwood and willow trees. Mm -hmm. Globally, riparian habitats and biodiversity havens in the Western US, they support more breeding birds than all other regional habitats combined. Since cottonwoods are the dominant riverside tree, their fate has ripple effects throughout the ecosystem. Mm-hmm. To regenerate, both cottonwoods and willows first need to release their seeds onto wet, sandy soil, which usually comes from flooding or beaver dam breaches. Those conditions have existed at a large scale in Northeast Yellowstone National Park in the last 25 years, but this year's floods alone may not rectify the situation. Many of the cottonwoods in Northeast Yellowstone today took root during a series of wet years in the 1990s. After the floods in 95 and 97, 1.36 million of the 1.37 million cottonwoods along the Lamar and Gardner rivers and Soda Butt Creek, or I'm sorry, Soda Butte Creek. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Soda Butte Creek were established according to a study by David Cooper, a Colorado State University ecologist. Multiple flood years in a row were key to those last million trees succeeding. If seeds germinate one year, they often don't survive if they are left high and dry in the next spring. Yeah. So, and they're important to kind of prevent erosion as well. Obviously, this year was kind of a <laughs> washout, but yeah. like <laughs> on nor- <laughs> a normal years, there, you know, if you have a riparian habitat, which basically just means you have trees and bushes and shit along the banks of creeks, like their roots help prevent erosion and help kind of regulate water temperature as well for these kind of cold water species like trout. Um, Mm -hmm. so they're important. Keep the soil in place. That's Mm -hmm. why mangroves are important to coastal communities. Yes. And why salt marshes are too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there's a lot of ecological benefits potentially floods and stuff from this flooding. It's just impacting people too. And they've closed, I think the park, I don't know if they've closed the whole park or just this part of the park. Um, but I, I looked and saw that uh, apparently they're going to be reopening um, the uh, park soon, like within a week or so. Yeah, um, I saw that too. But yeah, it's so it's just important to remember that, you know, not all natural disasters are necessarily bad on all fronts. Um, people just think they're bad because they impact them. And that does suck uh, a lot, but I do think that this could have really important um, effects on this area in Yellowstone, which has historically had a lot of problems due to humans meddling with the environment there, um, specifically looking at Yellowstone wolves. Um, yeah. The Remember when they the... reintroduced the wolves and like mm-hmm. the whole environment came back? Yes. <laughs> it's like amazing what happens. <laughs> so it's like if you remove one brick in, in the structure, then it kind of 
bound crumbles or changes. And so um, I think bringing back a lot of those woody trees and stuff is kind of also reflective of bringing wolves back to the park to regulate, you know, herbivore populations. So this could be really good for that as well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, That's the spark notes version of that 20 minute, not geo read of (laughs) floods and how they benefit the environment. So speaking of natural disasters, yeah, we're going to do a super duper ancient natural disaster. Like one of the most famous ancient natural disasters. I like history. Yeah. I just don't like morbid history. Actually, I I take it back. It depends on what it is. (laughs) I'm very much like Corey. Death is okay before 11. 11. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, He was he was having a good time, even though he kept joking like, oh, yeah, I guess I'll do it. I'm like, no, he got excited to do it. He did. (laughs) Don't let him lie to you. When he told that story about like the lightning and the storm and him like with the boat going through, I I've had that happen to me a handful Mm -hmm. of times. And I was like, yeah, I've been there. I totally get that. It's like you're just like, shit. Fuck. <laughs> yeah that's a metal why, boat <laughs> that's why we only set two of our three ramps this week because we were having major storms rolling through yeah um like i literally saw a power line get hit by lightning right next to me as i drove by it and i was like yeah we're no. not doing this um so okay <laughs> anyway so today we're gonna talk about the eruption of Mount Vesuvius in Pompeii. Wowie. I just got chills. I really <laughs> did. <laughs> Yay! <My hair> just- <laughs> so I feel like a lot of us have learned about briefly, at least about Pompeii and like history classes. Yeah. And I really don't have a great memory. All I know is that this was the volcano that everybody was like covered in ash. And mm-hmm. I believe that famous photo of like the couple spooning each other yeah came out from yes that's like when I think of Pompeii that's like really all that comes to mind is that yeah and that is like a very I didn't actually didn't include that photo damn I missed I was so excited going through all the different photos of all the bodies and I yeah just, okay. like look and there's this one and then there's this one yeah um they're not gruesome but it's like really interesting to see because it just happened so quickly and the bodies are so well preserved i'll tell you how they got that preserved it's really interesting um but it's it's interesting because i feel like it's easy to talk about events like this because they literally happened like thousands upon thousands upon thousands of years ago yeah and they obviously did not have the technology like a seismometer is that the volcanologist term size seismometer seismometer something like that (laughs) yeah we always have a hard time speaking that word yes Um, (laughs) yes because this is that one that thing first time we've talked about volcanoes i'm finding like volcano eruptions are kind of like a new weird niche subject that i'm really interested in (laughs) all right so let's get into this historic event so survival has been part of human existence since the beginning of time And if our ancestors hadn't put in the survival work themselves, we wouldn't be here today, Mm -mm. basically. Um, So in many ways, at least uh, within regards to nature, the world has (laughs) 
let me specify, at least within regards to nature, because the world's still fucking dangerous. The world was a much more dangerous place to its inhabitants before the 20th and 21st century. People had to travel through vast swaths of wilderness that are now developed for modern living. Um, There was little to no ability to forecast natural disaster events like we talked about, including weather-based and seismic-based cataclysms. Um, So it's no wonder that many of the world's religions have the world ending in fire and brimstone, great storms, or blistering cold because these kinds of events seemed like these terrifying great big things that were unexplainable. Um, They're still terrifying great big things, but we've got explanations for a lot of it. So, but while these people did not have the scientific knowledge of how the world works as we do today, they essentially were the same as we are, um, had the same fears, joys, and thought processes in many ways. Um, I, I keep hearing stories of like, finding um roman graffiti uh of like dick drawings or like <laughs> like you know cassius is an asshole kind of yeah like that kind of graffiti that we all see on bathroom stalls and it's like we are we have been the same <laughs> yeah we have been time. the same it's just like changed a bit <laughs> yeah and that, that always cracks me the fuck up because i'm like god we really are just the same <laughs> Strawing dicks everywhere. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so the problem, <laughs> yeah. So the problem is, especially any any time classified like as BC or before Christ, uh, learning about the day to day life of the world's inhabitants can be difficult, as the evidence has been worn away or destroyed by time or by other humans, like building on top of it. Um, rarely do we have a perfect snapshot of a certain period of time. Um, and the people that it captured. So, like I said, many of you have learned of the eruption of Vesuvius and the destruction of Pompeii through your history classes in school, and have seen the haunting casts of the bodies of the volcano's victims, but there's so much more to learn from these individual people and this individual event. So, strap in as we tell our first truly ancient story and delve into the science behind this cataclysmic event. Hold on to your butts. Hold on to your butts. So this is like the oldest story I think we've ever done. Could it possibly be the first ever Mother Nature will kill you story? Uh, no, because I have an older one. Do you really? Yes. (laughs) When is that going to happen? Not this year. (laughs) Oh, okay. But I I, I do want to do it. There's, I have like prehistoric ones. Like Like the dinosaur pre-written history humans but pre-written history can i take a side note for like five seconds because i was watching jurassic park last night Mm -hmm. and i asked my boyfriend i was because we were just like you know naming dinosaurs and i was like which one do you think like evolved into a like present day animal and he was like babe dinosaurs were extinct i was like but then why do people say that like, you know, there's some animals out there that are like from dinosaurs, like, you know, birds are like, you know, like the freaking cassowary is a descendant of the velociraptor. Like, and so then we started thinking about it and now I'm like, ah, now I don't know what to think anymore, but I feel like dinosaurs, although they were extinct are definitely have evolved into things. So it was the, uh, theropods. So you're right. It's the velociraptors 
T-Rex, anything that was bipedal and that gotcha. kind of group and like predatory too turned into modern day birds like that's gotcha. that evolutionary line so you're absolutely right about that which is hilarious to me because I look you look at a chicken and you're like you that was a fucking a- dinosaur <laughs> <laughs> yeah but like if you look at a cassowary you can believe it because those yeah. things are terrifying yeah no um, they are really terrifying there's like a national geographic episode on them I think it was national geographic or it was some sort of show similar and it mm-hmm. breaks down like the DNA lineage between all that. But anyway, okay, that was my five minute side note. But yes, <laughs> dinosaurs, which really, really. Um, so let's get into this event. So Vesuvius is the only active volcano on the European mainland and has erupted historically more than 50 times based on geological evidence. Um, its last eruption was in 1944. And although there was another, and there was another major eruption earlier in 1631. So another eruption is expected in the near future. I was just trying to do the math of that actually. Yeah. And uh, 700,000 people still live in like the death zone areas of Mm. this volcano. Um, but hopefully our ability to predict eruptions has gotten somewhat better since the times of ancient Rome, especially considering the city of Naples now sits in its eruption zone. That's like a major Italian city. So city too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in, we actually almost moved to Naples when I was a kid uh, really? for the bad stuff. Yeah. For the military. But my mom talked him out of it because it's, that city's pretty much controlled by the Italian mafia. Really? Yeah. <laughs> so wow. she's like, it's not safe for children. Yeah. But yeah, I, I mean... almost moved to Naples. <laughs> Fun fact. Um, which would have been That's... so cool. Would have been so cool. So uh, the volcano is... Uh, in 2013, the volcano was reported as 4,203 feet or 1,281 meters tall. The size of the mountain, though, changes after each eruption, which makes sense. So that's um, what I was going to ask is like, is there like a um, like a degradation ratio of the volcano that can predict when the next eruption is going to happen? Or does it just kind of like degrade, like you said, after each eruption? I think it depends more on seismic and gotcha. it's it can't degrade, but it could like add more depending on like the lava like if it, yeah. it could build it up or it could degrade it depending on how the eruption is. Um, so the volcano is classified as a complex stratovolcano because its eruptions are explosive and produce pyroclastic flows. It is part of the Campanian volcanic arch uh, in which the African plate is being subducted beneath the Eurasian plate. And that's what kind of produces all this activity here is it's on kind of a plate uh, subduction mm-hmm. zone. So if you look at the photos, um, page one, you can see the uh, caldera of Mount Vesuvius in that big cinder cone in the middle. Mm-hmm. And then you can see the ruins of Pompeii in the background. And then in the second uh, photo, you see the city of Naples <laughs> in the background. Yeah, I was going to say, is the city of Pompeii, like, are those ruins, like, all the white dots? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because it looks the same as Naples. 
So and you can see how close Pompeii was to Yeah, uh, no, that's definitely right up on there. Yeah. <laughs> like no wonder no one got out alive. Yeah, no, it's like right there. But mm-hmm. um yeah, so Naples is a little bit farther away, but still definitely <laughs> in the death zone. Like mm. yeah, yeah, and that's a big city too. Like yeah, it stretches all along that bay. So so concern, you know. Yeah, I volcanoes are something that I'd never never want to deal with, honestly. I used to live beneath Mount Rainier, which is uh I think it's dormant, but it could erupt. Yeah. Um kind of like Mount St. Helens did. Well, like also after all this talk of volcanoes, like if I'm ever going to a place that has a volcano, I'm definitely gonna be researching like the life history of that volcano to see when yeah. it's gonna erupt next because if it's gonna be like soon I don't really think I want to do that well you know Yellowstone is actually a caldera I, of a giant yeah. volcano that if it ever erupts we're all fucked I know you know as those words were coming out of my mouth I thought of Yellowstone <laughs> I was like I really want to see Yellowstone too which is you should go faithful I, I should go that's what I was talking to my dad about when we won that sweepstakes, which I'm still waiting to hear on like official things. We signed like all the papers, but um, I was like, oh, this is going to be cool if we're going to be there for three days. And like, they only have like a half day of an activity planned for us. Like we have two and a half more days to go do things. So mm-hmm. I was like, we could totally go up to Yellowstone and look at that. Cause we didn't get to do that the last time we were there. And you totally and, should go do it. Yeah. And I want to, but I'm also nervous. No, don't be. Cause like if, if, that volcano is about to erupt they would be fucking telling us about it that's true or they wouldn't but you know what the world is ending anyway so you might as well go see old faithful it's really cool you should go do it yeah don't don't be nervous i I want to get my (laughs) i want to get my good camera again before i go on like these national park trips so i gotta think that yeah no you absolutely should go i'm highly occurring you're not gonna and if you do it you know the rest of us are going to suffer a lot more if that thing blows yeah then if you're there when it blows and you die (laughs) yeah I just hope however I die it's a quick and easy death you know I don't want to be like struggling yeah I don't it's not we would know we would know a lot there's you know there'd be a lot of earthquake activity in that entire region and people would be talking about it you know what I mean yeah like, so, hmm, why is the earth shaking so much more than usual i think people like to talk about that it's like what the world's biggest volcano and if it ever blew it'd be like catastrophic to just freak people out yeah you know it's what like I mean? how when the century was turning it's like oh we're gonna die because it's turning to exactly <laughs> so i don't think it's like like if it was about to explode we all would fucking know because yeah. there'd be reports from normal people that like hey there's a ton of earthquakes and that kind of you know what I mean yeah so I don't want you to <laughs> all right I won't be nervous I'm now competing it's really cool I went um yeah sorry I just needed to calm you down about that because you seemed really concerned I yeah I'm starting I was like I don't know if I die I die I guess huh that's my new motto at this point like either it'll work out or it won't yeah I'll see it in the next life you know yeah because if that thing blows we're gonna suffer and die a a lot longer drawn out starvation type of so you might as well just not be here for it you know yeah well now I'm curious 
we can talk about this later. We get, we can get back to it, but I have, I have some curiosities now about the size because like the size of Old Faithful is not nearly as big as the size of Pompeii. So, or Mount Vesuvius. Oh, the caldera is fucking Mount Old Faithful is nothing to do. It, the only thing it has to do with the volcano is the fact that it's like a ge- geothermal hotspot. Oh, yeah. The caldera is like surrounds the entire park. Oh, oh, God. <laughs> All right. This is clicking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. All right. So that's pretty fucking big. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. My legs just got nervous and I got chicken skin. You'll be fine. All right. Let's get back to Pompeii. <laughs> You'll totally be fine. So. We all know about the tragedy that befell Pompeii, (laughs) but what do we really know about people who experienced this terrifying force of nature or the other towns that were also in the way of the onslaught? So on August 24th, uh, oh shoot, Mm. this is uh, AD, but anyway, so on August 24th, 79 AD, uh, Mount Vesuvius erupted, destroying the Roman cities of Pompeii and Herculaneum killing thousands of citizens. The two cities and surrounding towns were buried under a thick layer of volcanic material and mud and were never rebuilt and mostly forgotten for a long time until both cities were excavated in the 18th century, moving into the 21st century. These excavations provided an amazing resource and archeological record of everyday life in ancient Rome. As the whole city Uh, was well-preserved in sudden death. So the two cities sat at the base of the volcano in the Bay of Naples. Nearly 20,000 people lived in Pompeii, which was founded in the 6th or 7th century BC. And these citizens included merchants, manufacturers, and farmers whose crops thrived in the black, rich soil created by previous eruptions of the volcano. So if you want to know why people settled near volcanoes, it's because the farming is chef's kiss. Chef's kiss. (laughs) That's a trade-off, I guess, huh? Yep. So Herculaneum was founded around the same time as Pompeii and housed about 5,000 people and was a summer vacation spot for wealthy Romans and was named for the hero Hercules. And was home to many opulent villas and Roman baths. Sounds lovely. The volcano was dormant and had not erupted in centuries. uh, But seismic activity was fairly common in the area. This is why no alarms were raised when early on the day of the eruption, there had been several earthquakes, um, which was a clear warning sign to many. But... Uh, not for these cities that had lived in the shadow of the volcano for decades. Um, they were, yeah, they're like, yeah, this is just another day. Yeah. So however, at noon, Mount Vesuvius exploded, throwing a 10 mile high mushroom cloud of ash and pumice into the atmosphere. By 1 PM, the ash from the explosion blocked the sun and ash was falling on the city at a rate of six inches an hour. Yeah. Just pretty heavy when you think yeah. about snowfall. <laughs> yeah yeah you could get six inches in like a day of snow in virginia uh-huh yeah six so inches an hour that's pretty heavy snow snowfall ashfall <laughs> yeah when you put it that's, in that context. I, I need to do math and i'm bad at math what's six times 24 that's we're doing it that's 144 inches 
of ash in a day. That's 12 feet. Ah. Mm-hmm. So within the next 12 hours, volcanic ash and pumice stones, which were up to three inches in diameter, rained down on the citizens, forcing them to either flee or hole up in their homes. Only about 2,000 individuals managed to flee the city. I was going to ask that if anyone actually, like, got out. Yes, yes. Some did. Probably the people that were on the edge of it, right? Yeah. They could just, like, leave easy. Some people stayed on purpose. Like, I was born here. I'm going to die here. Yeah, like the whole, like, dumb hurricane reasoning for staying. Um. But so 18,000 people stayed hoping, hoping to wait out the eruption, <laughs> which I'd be like, grab my money, grab my kids, bye bitch. <laughs> yeah. I know. Like everything is not surviving that. Yeah. So, um, those in Herculaneum, however, saw no effects from the first stage of the eruption because they were protected by the wind. So they, in some ways were kind of like blindsided. Um, I mean, they kind of saw what was happening, but like, didn't think that, uh, you know, it might impact them as much. So, but Herculaneum saw the first deadly wave of the eruption when a giant cloud of hot ash and gas flowed down the Western flank of the mountain, otherwise known as a pyroclastic flow. So pyroclastic flows are gravity driven mixtures of ash, lava blobs, and gases that can be as hot as 1300 degrees Fahrenheit. That is hot. Hot. Um, And they move at speeds of 50 miles per hour, which would wipe out anything in its path. So this cloud engulfed the city and flash burned or asphyxiated any individuals who remained. The cloud was then followed by a lahar or a flood of volcanic mud and rock, which buried the city entirely by midnight. So, but at that Jeez. point, everybody was dead. Um, yeah. So it wasn't like the Arbero tragedy. <laughs> God, that yeah. is still very sad. Yeah. So very sad. those who stayed in Pompeii met the exact same fate on August 25th. So the following day at 6 a.m., as a pyroclastic surge enveloped Pompeii, followed by a lahar. So a majority of what we know from the eruption comes from the account of Pliny the Younger, who was the nephew to the famous philosopher and naturalist Pliny the Elder. Um, And Pliny the Younger later became a lawyer, author, and magistrate in ancient Rome, but at the time was only 17 when he witnessed this just a boy just just a young lad (laughs) um so Pliny the younger was staying along the bay of naples um when the volcano erupted and observed the entire event from a relatively safe distance so he was in naples which is technically in the death zone still was he in the water i i think i'm asking these questions from like 80 79 (laughs) like you know this I don't. It, it seems like he was just farther away from gotcha. wasn't, you know, right there. So if you look at the pictures, um, if you skip to three, you can three. see um the area that actually was impacted from this eruption. Gotcha. And Naples was kind of on the edge of it, so he may have been in that area. Um because gotcha. that whole little curve right there is the bay of naples 
I see. Yeah. So he could have been anywhere along that and been okay. Relatively okay. Do you think um, anyone could have survived it if they just took a boat into the water? Yes. Or do you think the ash would have like fallen on them still? Well, the ash isn't so much of the scary thing. It's really those pyroclastic flows. Yeah. Which I just is didn't know red... if really, like the ash could like suffocate or just like, you know, get in your lungs. Yeah. You know? So that red area is where the pyroclastic flows were. Oy, that goes into the water. It does. So you could potentially get far enough out but i I will get into it a little bit because people did try to do that um so if you go back to two you can see this like really dramatic artist interpretation of the famous eruption which i love but also i'm like it kind of probably was like that yeah it probably isn't all too dramatic when you think about it no (laughs) (laughs) but it's a beautiful painting like it's very like it you definitely know. looks like the world's ending. Yes. And then you can see Pliny the Elder and Younger, who both had roles to play in this eruption. And we'll get back to that. Which Pliny the Elder definitely looks like he should be the younger, but that's my opinion. You know, these were just the like portraits I could find, but I also agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. So Pliny the Younger observed this whole thing. Um, and he wrote two letters to historian Tacitus, 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 and told of how people covered their heads with pillows, the only defense against a shower of stones, and how a dark, horrible cloud charged with combustible matter suddenly broke and set forth. Some bewailed their own fate, others prayed to die. Pliny, like I said, was just 17 at the time, but his uncle, Pliny the Elder, was a commander of the Roman fleet in the Bay of Naples at the time. After Vesuvius erupted, he took his boats across the bay to investigate the eruption. Um, But after going ashore, he was overcome by toxic gas and died. Um, So Pliny the Younger uh, recorded that the eruption lasted a full 18 hours. Jesus. So much of what we know about this came from him and then later our own like geological studies about it yeah yeah so Pompeii was buried under 14 to 7 feet 17 foot of ash and pumice and Herculaneum was buried under more than 60 feet of mud so it was all buried a lot deeper it is believed that about 30,000 individuals died during the eruption although 20,000 citizens survived the initial blast by getting out of the city far enough but you can see from that picture that a lot of the other smaller nearby towns were impacted as well. Yeah. Um, so it wasn't just Pompeii and Herculaneum, but those were like the two, you know, main ones. But there's a couple other small towns too. It's wild. I was just so. looking up pumice as a rock type to remind myself. What it's the, the kind that was. you rub on your feet. To yeah. Get the dead skin it's off. like the porous. Yeah. 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 So um, some residents returned to dig out their homes and salvage valuables, but most of the structures were left buried. Um, While some artifacts from the city were unearthed in time, they were largely forgotten until in 1748, a farmer found parts of the building beneath his vineyard. And since then, excavations in this region have gone nearly without interruption because this kind of sparked interest in this event. Mm -hmm. 
So let's kind of get into the archaeological side, which is my favorite. I love this kind of stuff. Yeah. (laughs) Speaking of dinosaurs, but also I love like ancient, like learning about ancient peoples. (laughs) It's cool. So in the 1800s, the remains of 20,000 men, women, and children were found in Pompeii along with thousands of animals. In 1860, Giuseppe Fiorelli took charge of the site and decided to reveal some of these victims of the volcano at Pompeii. So once the individuals died from asphyxiation, their bodies were covered with ash that hardened around them. So basically what this did was preserve the shape of their bodies. And as the bodies decomposed, it left this like like shell basically around their skeletons yeah but this is really cool because fiorelli decided to fill these hollow bodies with plaster so made like casts their casts i never realized i always thought that was the ash hardened around them yeah is why they looked like that which really freaked me out as a kid but yeah. it's it's really just the plaster that he poured in. Oh wow. And as they excavated to like preserve like these highly detailed and realistic looking death throes of the victims. Yeah. Even capturing some facial expressions. So it's this really fascinating method. Yeah. She's grimacing. I know. I was like, we want to call it fascinating. It <laughs> is. <laughs> I mean, it is. It, I can say that it is, which is it's very yeah. well the i mean the bodies are like the fleshy parts it's aren't there the anymore. facial expression it's the facial expressions for me yeah i get that you know so the full skeletal remains are inside of these plaster casts and ct skinners are able to study the bodies today without you know breaking apart the casts um so from studying these bodies we can determine how the last moments of pompeians were spent as well as information about life was like then um you know through studying the health of the skeletons Mm -hmm. there's been a long-standing hypothesis that extreme heat was the predominant killer and mm, trigger warning here because it's gonna get a little so the heat would cause the fluids in the victim's brains and soft tissues to boil because it's so hot and this is supported by a current uh p-l-o-s-1 article so it's like hot brain soup hot Blech. brain soup mm-hmm. yuck so the pyroclastic flows created a variety of killers including flying debris um, causing asphyxiation by inhaling too much ass or gash gas ass ass or gas a- ass or gas <laughs> um and high temperatures that can essentially flash fry human being brain soup so thank you in pompeii good soup (laughs) good soup Uh, (laughs) i'm sorry (laughs) (laughs) see see you do it too so in pompeii deaths were caused by a variety of aspects of their interruption including initially being hit by debris Uh, which would cause houses to collapse and trap people inside or bury them alive. Uh, People actually got killed by falling debris in the street, um, as shown by the unlucky 
or lucky, depending on how you see it, Pompeian, who was crushed by a falling boulder. And I remember seeing this oh. uh, a while ago, this image. So if you go to slide seven, you can see our friend who got crushed by a boulder. Yikes. <laughs> I can't help but laugh a little bit. So oh, you see it's like it's midsection and down is just bones. And it's it's cartoonish almost. Yeah, kind of is. just I feel bad for him, but at the same time, it's like, well, I mean, you weren't gonna live anyway, so you might as well just not suffer, yeah. you know, just yeah. just go out with a bang. So the city was then hit by a pyroclastic surge, which contains more gas than uh, a flow of ash. So it's likely they suffocated to death due to the gas um, mm-hmm. for the most part. Anybody else was likely killed by thermal shock as most bodies are still physically intact. So likely they died of asphyxiation. And the reason they were found in, you know, more natural positions was because their muscles had contracted quickly upon being exposed to high heat. Yeah. So they kind of like stayed frozen in those positions. Mm -hmm. Um, And you can see there's so many really interesting photos of these victims i find it very fascinating personally the one that really got me was on slide five there's a dog dog cast and it looks a lot like marcy and that really bothers me (laughs) because i've seen her like do that like cute little position on her back you know yeah it's like Um, the dog was like on its back like itching its back you know yeah. how, like, they do that yeah um or the the kids that one also yeah, i mean they look like statues these yeah. casts which i think is in some ways how it's easier to look at but at the same time you're like there's little little baby skeletons inside of there you know what i think about whenever i hear about these like mass casualties is like mm-hmm. genealogical like lineages just ended yeah for a lot of people like a genetic bottleneck too yeah yeah where my mind goes to it's like wow they're like you have no ancestors anymore right (laughs) their line ended unless they had like children that lived outside of the city yeah Yeah. slide six those two also kind of got me which is why i included them yeah that's that's what I'm talking about where it's like the facial expressions and like the mannerisms where it's like they you can tell that they are feeling pain yeah and like very afraid and very human it really like brings it to reality that these were real people yeah a lot of and that's something that I feel like in ancient times we're like they weren't people (laughs) yeah but they were absolutely and they died they died yeah so in addition to preserving some of the gruesome last details of Pompeii citizens Vesuvius also preserved life in ancient Rome as a snapshot many strange information on daily life of Pompeians were discovered through studying the intact skeletons Um, and here's some of the weirdest fun facts or I don't know some of them aren't that fun but they're definitely interesting. They're fun to you. <laughs> um, so one of them was that they found that some children had syphilis. Yeah. Yeah. Probably got it from being born if their mom had it. Yeah. 
but this proves that this disease was in Europe long before they made contact with America. America was the believed source of the disease, but it oh. turns out. Hashtag that- not my fault. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so they also revealed some social hierarchy, including evidence of a man and his slave in a side room of a villa based on trace evidence of clothing they were wearing. So you can see that slide four. It's the slave and the master, those two individuals. Yeah, which just goes to show we all die together at some point. Exactly. Or die the same. I don't know. We all just die. We're all human Yes. Die. So don't be a dick. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) uh, They also found that Pompeians had very good dental hygiene. May have had syphilis, but they had great dental hygiene. And did not find cavities in hardly any of the skeletons. And this was likely because this was before processed sugar was like added to diet. So you can see on slide seven, that other picture, there's a victim whose plaster casing was accidentally broken. Yeah. And he got some pearly whites. He does. He's got apparently some really nice teeth. So he's one of the individuals that was studied for like the whole dental hygiene. It's really, oh, really wild stuff. Yeah. I like your comment, proving Pompeians have superb dental hygiene. Yeah. So in addition, based on the manner of dress and genetic makeup, like you were talking about, it was determined that Pompeii was as diverse as modern day New York City, as far as race Hmm. and genetics were concerned. Go figure. Which is really cool, lending evidence to the fact that, you know, uh rome was not just full of italians it Mm -hmm. people from all over were living in this region of the world back in the day so these details are just a few of what archaeologists have managed to uncover from the bodies at pompeii but these are just a few that i find interesting that's cool so let's talk about herculaneum because they kind of got the worst of it which is something i didn't know about from learning about Pompeii. I feel like Pompeii is always the one everybody talks about because they've got those like well-preserved bodies and they're yeah. much bigger, but Herculaneum, what happened there is actually really gruesome and interesting, but gruesome. So if you don't want to hear grody details, I guess skip to the end because we're going to talk about it in a very scientific manner. So It wasn't until 1982 that the first victims were found in Herculaneum because they were buried so deep under the mud Mm -hmm. and stuff. So, and their skeletons have burn marks, which kind of shows the detail of some of their horrible deaths. But the details of just how this all went down are kind of disputed. Mm -hmm. So because the town was located much closer to Vesuvius's vent, the heat from the pyroclastic flows and surges were much hotter than in Pompeii. So this led to degraded heat-induced bone fractures and Mm. potentially exploded skulls Mm. in 300 victims found at the boathouses of Herculaneum. So these people were, like we talked about, attempting to escape on the water. Oh, when the pyroclastic flow overtook them and killed them all. So if you look at the slide eight, you can see how 
well some of this area was preserved. You know, I accidentally these... went down to slide nine. Yeah, there's some skeletons. <laughs> there's some skellies. Um, so this is the boathouse where they all kind of met their fate. Imagine being on the water and like trying to get out and then like you look behind you and yeah like waiting for your friends to catch up and then you just and they're see never them. coming yeah you just see them get engulfed and you're like holy shit so yeah slide nine that's all of the boathouse victims and they weren't plaster cast so they're all skeletons um oh. which in some ways i don't know could be easier to look at but i've looked at a lot of a lot of skeletons like from ancient sites so it does not particularly bother me that but... area has to be haunted as fuck oh yeah for sure for sure the woman with the rings mm-hmm. so how is this hot enough to like kill humans but not hot enough to melt gold don't know i don't know what the melting point of gold is so well, I'm gonna look it up. so i feel like humans humans can die a lot <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you're right, but I was just curious. Okay, so the melting point of gold is 1,948 degrees Fahrenheit. That's why it didn't get hot enough. Yeah. Gotcha. So it's hot enough to flash fry human beings, but not hot enough to melt gold. So I was about to Google melting point of humans, but I'm on my work laptop right now. I'm like, I probably should not. So maybe you don't want to see the pictures for that. Yeah. Yeah. But like, if it's a Google search, it's just text. Hopefully. Hopefully. Is it not? Have you Googled it? Not always. You've Googled it. I can tell. All right. So I'll get into that. So uh, a researcher, Pierre Paolo, or Pierre Paolo, sorry, Patron, and his team deduced that they were hit with surges between 932 degrees Fahrenheit and 1,112 degrees Fahrenheit, so slightly less than that melting point. Um, But this would cause their body fluids and brains to boil, like we mentioned before. Mm. Mm. Patrone also found that there's a dark reddish residue on the bones of the victims, like that woman with the rings. Mm -hmm. Um, This likely originated from blood and fluids due to its iron-rich compounds kind of staining the bones. Hmm. Um, it was likely that the soft tissues would have been completely vaporized within 10 minutes, meaning that the muscles were destroyed before they can contract like those of the Pompeii victims. So if you were to plaster cast these, it wouldn't, there wouldn't be anything Yeah, because they were just vaporized, which is wild. Um, the skulls have evidence of a star-like fracture patterns, which may indicate that pressure built up within the skull, causing them to crack. Or as Patron had sensationally put it, explode. But Tim Thompson, who is an archaeologist at Teesside University, determined that there may have been a difference in how the bodies were destroyed. By analyzing rib bones from 150 victims, they were able to show that the bones contained high levels of collagen, which is a protein that breaks down quickly when bones are burned. Mm-hmm. while the individuals likely died from suffocation or heat exposure fairly quickly afterwards their bodies began to cook driving moisture from the soft tissues and into the insides of the bones so while this is disturbing 
This could provide information for forensic scientists attempting to ID bodies after a modern volcanic disaster, or even just in crimes, you know, like buildings being burned down, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So Thompson further indicates that the skull explosion was actually pretty unlikely. Oh, as, really? Yeah. Huh. As they don't explode during commercial cre- cremations, which reach oh. cer- similar temps. Yeah. Right? Yeah, it's true. You don't really hear about that. No. So these competing scientific analysis of these bodies may indicate minutia about how these bodies decayed. However, it doesn't take away from the fact that these people met a very grisly, albeit quick, much quicker than the Pompeians. Yeah. Fate as they attempted to escape with their lives. So thank you. It was a lot, but I guess there's some consolation in the fact that they died probably pretty quickly. Yeah. Like I said, if I'm going to die, I want to make it quick and easy, painless. Right. So if fucking Yellowstone exploded, you would just be vaporized. You wouldn't even know. Cool. If 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 it exploded while you were like there. Yeah. But honestly, like I don't not like thanks jillian you just tried to calm me down but now you're making me a little worried again but it's fine you'll be fine it's fine because we have better technology to predict these things first of all second of all if it was gonna explode we would know about it because i thought about it and i was like well could the government hide it from us but like there'd be so much eruption or uh, like seismic activity that like fucking joe schmo from one of the nearby like jackson hole or whatever would like be like there's a lot of earthquakes going on right now." yeah like somebody else would be talking about it right so like if it does explode when it does explode whatever Mm -hmm. you said like all of us will be fucked does that mean like all of the states and into canada possibly the world would be impacted in some way or another not by more by the ash blocking out the sun oh. and preventing growth. So would basically be put in a volcanic winter and food shortages would be an issue. Ugh. So you might as well just get vaporized and go see Old Faithful. Yeah. Yeah, don't, don't <laughs> put me down for that. But like we have the technology now. I wonder if like uh, people would just use a lot of like energy with like electric lights and stuff to like I mean yeah potentially but there's no way we could accurately predict how we would deal with something like that yeah I mean if we can't accurately predict how we would deal with a pandemic Hmm. you know (laughs) so (sighs) I think it's time to be alive it really is so that's why I'm kind of in the fuck it go to Yellowstone you'll be fine yeah it'll be you know it's uh, not any worse than uh, what's going on in the rest of the world. So, and you'll get to see some really pretty stuff. Yeah. So I'm you excited. should go. You I should, should go. go. I should go. I'm going to go. I really do want to get a better camera or a camera again. Cause I don't know if I mentioned this to you, but when my camera got flooded, I sent it in to get repaired and they were like, yes, yes you'd be better off just buying a new one. So yes. That. Oh, that's an unfortunate. Mm, yeah. Very unfortunate. So I'm sorry. Well, I'm going to wrap up this story real quick. Yeah, cite your sources. All right, so I got one little more paragraph. So the destruction of Pompeii and Herculaneum was a devastating event, suffocating and burying tens of thousands of people under volcanic ash and mud 
preserving them for us to find in modern day times. This event, however, was not isolated to this time because we have discussed a very similar event that happened in the 1980s in Armero, Colombia, in which a town of 20,000 people were also buried under a lahar or a volcanic mud flow. There were survivors from this event as well, but a majority of the individuals living in this town were buried drowning, though, in the mud instead of asphyxiating on gas, which... I don't know which one is worse, to be honest. Um, This shows that while our ability to predict volcanic eruptions has gotten better since ancient Rome, many political and cultural barriers still sit in the way of successful evacuation for every volcanic eruption. Um, Here in the States, I think we have a pretty good track record. If you look at uh, Mount St. Helens, very few people died from that. And that's because they were very stubborn and decided to stay on the mountain, Mm -hmm. whereas everyone else got out of Dodge. Um, but you know, in Colombia, it was a little different. So, uh, there were always likely be deaths associated with these earth shattering events. But like I said, depending on where you live, the ability to evacuate might be different. So modern day Mount Vesuvius still threatens human life as it is still an active volcano and hasn't erupted since 1944. However, that is not to say that it could happen. And the city of Naples, Italy now sits at the base with a population of almost 100,000 people. Um, One can only hope that if an eruption of that magnitude occurs again, an evacuation of this major city will occur. The only consolation we can take from the eruption of Vesuvius is that it can allow us a snapshot of time and place and a snapshot we can study and understand more about ourselves, our ancestors, and where we come from. And my sources for this was This Day in History, Mount Vesuvius Erupts from History.com. Did Vesuvius vaporize its victims? Get the facts from Robert George Andrews, National Geographic. Uh, Mount Vesuvius in Pompeii, Facts and History from Mary Badgley of Live Science, 14 14 Things You Didn't Know About the Bodies Preserved at Pompeii by Andy Miller from Ranker, and Studies Reveal Gruesome Last Moments of Pompeii Volcanoes Victims by Colin Barris uh, from Science. So a lot of scientific research going on about this entire event area and I think that we can learn a lot of cool stuff from it, but yeah, it is a really much more grisly event than we thought yeah, <laughs> or that we learned about. Um, so that wraps that up. Go to Yellowstone. Well, You'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> so on the same vein of volcanoes erupting, go to Yellowstone. Mm-hmm. It'll be great. Yeah, it'll be fine. Yeah, I know that's a cool story and it's definitely a lot different than what I remember learning about because like I said, I have a bad memory and all I remember learning about was just this volcano erupted and a lot of people died and there are body ruins from yeah. it. Yeah. I didn't realize that they were plaster casts. I like Yeah, I, said. I didn't either. I thought it was just like the natural elements had like covered and hardened. Mm-hmm. And like they had, but not the way that we... Thought, thought they did yeah they created like cavities instead of like covering but anyway interesting stuff we have gone on it's been two time. hours so let's wrap it up real quick uh with some happy things some happy things um my boss is forcing me to take monday off 
So I'm actually getting a vacation day or a holiday day on Monday, which will be nice. Yeah. I, and we do get the 4th of July off. I just tend to work holidays like the 4th of July because for one, like, I just feel like the events always happen in the afternoon, evening time. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, yeah, if I could get like four to six hours of work in, like I'll do it. Right. Right. And, um, it's like, you know, killing two birds with one stone. So, but when I was on a call with her the other day, she's like, uh, nope, don't come in. I was like, okay, are you sure? She's like, yep, don't come in. I was like, okay, I don't know what to do with myself if I'm not working though. (laughs) Go take more stuff over to your house. I know. That's what I was thinking. I was like, it is going to be good because I can move my stuff this weekend, but I'm taking up your time this morning. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's all good. It's okay. I did. I've done, been doing some stuff anyway, but yeah. So today, this afternoon, evening is frame. My friends are having a third of July party because big pine does their fireworks on the third and then key West does their fireworks on the fourth. Uh, okay. So kind of staggering it. Yeah. I don't even know if I'm really going to go down to key West tomorrow for fireworks. My friend invited me to go on a boat and see them from the water, but I just, driving down to Key West literally on the 4th of July and having to be like around all of that on the 4th of July just turns me off I really don't want to deal with all of that so um honestly I'm probably just going to take the day off and move some things and just have a day to myself um because I'm really just doing more of the 4th of July festivities today right um and yesterday my boyfriend and I hung out with his friends uh, that we haven't seen in a while. So that was nice. And then today we're seeing friends that I haven't seen in a while. And the friends that I'm seeing are the friends that host the Misfit Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I literally have not seen them since Thanksgiving. Oh, yeah. Be good. Yeah. yeah. So that'll be nice. What about you? Um, I guess I'm looking forward to a very chill weekend. Corey and I are going to work tomorrow, but I'm excited because I finally get to do some field work and Corey's excited because he finally gets to do some field work with me and it's That's not going to be too, too taxing. Um, it's just more going to be a lot of driving, but we're going to make a day of it. We're going to go to a little restaurant that we like to go to um, for lunch because um, cool. we'll be in the area. So it's right on the Guadalupe river and it's so pretty. That's pretty. Took um, all the pictures. Since we only have to check like two sites tomorrow. That's what we're going to do. And so I think it's just going to be a really nice day, um, even though yeah. we're working, you know, but yeah, I, I miss that about like field work when it's like, you just have to go to check two, two things and it's like, yeah. that's your day and yeah. you can go have lunch somewhere nice and right. Right. Go home. So that's what we're doing tomorrow. And then I got to head up to Houston, but I'm looking forward to that. And I've been working on some miniatures again, and I built a miniature coral reef and I'm going to have to send you pictures. Yes. Uh, woo! Because I was looks... actually thinking about that hobby of yours the other day. Yeah. I was like, I haven't seen her post any of her little tiny house crafty things. Recently. It's because I've been working on a really big one. Lately. Yeah. Okay. Post about it soon. It's that little Hawaiian bungalow that I started putting together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's actually this giant big thing. So it's like the house is on top. And then okay. underneath, there's like two more levels okay. that go underwater. So it's oh. like one of those underwater hotels, you know, yeah. that you can go down into. Yeah, so yeah, it's yeah. like house on top. So that's what I built the coral reef for, was for that. So that's when I posted cool. it, it'll, it'll make sense. But it, yeah. 
it's really, it's a cool kit and that's why I wanted to buy it, but I have modified it so much from like the original kit that it looks almost unrecognizable, which is kind of fun. That's yeah, that's what I awesome. like. Doing. Yeah. So yeah. I built it out of model magic and sand. So. Cool. I can't <laughs> wait to see it. That'll be um, nice. But yeah, so then I have to go clean my pool because we've had so much rain. It's getting really weird in there. Yeah, I'm sure. So yeah, let's um, wrap this up. I'm going to have to do some heavy editing. <laughs> yeah. Sorry about that. Not a lot okay. of questions. Um, so you guys can find us on any podcast streaming platform that is available to you. So that would be Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, uh, Spotify. We use Anchor as our main platform to upload and uh, put us out there. But you can also listen to us on Anchor as well. Uh, we also have a website that we have linked our podcast on. If you would like to listen to us on our website, it is mothernaturewillkillypodcast.com. We also have a form on there to send us any questions or comments or tell us how much you love us. Um, and we're on the socials on Instagram and Twitter. Instagram is Mother Nature Will Kill Podcast, and Twitter is MNWKY Podcast. Yeah. Um, so you don't have to have survived an ancient cataclysmic volcanic eruption but if you happen to pompeii we'd like to hear about it especially if you've gotten to see the plaster casts because mm-hmm. you totally can go to the ruins and see all of this stuff for real mm-hmm. um and also if you have a little nature survival story of your own you can um submit it to either our website we have a submission page or you can just email us um and it doesn't have to be anything crazy like i said um it can just be something that happened to you while you're you know out on a hike uh, where you felt maybe a little unsafe a little uncomfy or you know something a little more scary happened to you but you know if you have a little story like that we would like to hear about it um if you would like to help out the podcast but don't have a lot of money because we live in a capitalist fucking hellscape every time <laughs> uh you can uh give us a five-star rating review on any of our listening platforms and basically what it does is just tell the algorithm to make us more known um when you you know search you know science podcast, nature podcast, survival podcast, whatever, so mm-hmm. that we can get, um, you know, more listeners and more people who may be interested in listening to me talk about really fucked up stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so next week we're going to be doing some true crime. Eh. Woohoo! Uh, which I, I love. do love me some true crime. Yes. Um, and I guess with that, we'll wrap this bad boy up. Well, Until next time, stay safe, but most of all, stay curious, explorers. See you later. And goodbye. Happy trails.